Please open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And when you find that, please stand with me as we read God's Word this morning. First, let me ask you though, wouldn't it be great to always know what to do and then have the ability to actually do it? Wisdom is knowing what to do and Power is having the ability to actually do that. And wisdom and power are two things that we want but we find lacking in our lives. But this passage of scripture can help us. And I know God's going to speak to us today through it. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached, to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block, and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and The wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is God's word. And Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you want to use it in our lives today. And we pray you would would teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the day marking Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem before his crucifixion. But today is also known as April Fool's Day. People say that those who believe in Jesus are fools. God said, the fool says in his own heart, there is no God. Spiritually speaking, people's responses haven't changed much since the time that Jesus was on earth. On that original Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem humble, seated on a donkey, fulfilling the words of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. Behold, daughter of Zion, your king comes, humble and seated on a foal. Of a donkey. What this was was Jesus' coronation as the true king. His coronation as king. His last major public appearance before his crucifixion. It was of such importance that all four gospels recorded the, the, uh, the event. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all make mention of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And on that day, the people shouted praise to God. 
They quoted this, the words of Psalm 118. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna was a Hebrew prayer. It meant save now. Save us. They were acknowledging as they quoted that psalm that Jesus was the one. Jesus was the Messiah. They spread their clothes out on the road. It was a way of paying tribute to royalty. It was a way of welcoming a new king. They believed him to be the king of the Jews. King. Yes, many wanted a political king. But they acknowledged him as king. They spread palm branches out on the road. It was signifying their joy. It was signifying salvation. They were acknowledging Jesus as Savior, as God himself, as they did that. But not everyone was thrilled that Jesus came into town to such fanfare. Not everyone was in agreement with what was being said of Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, in one of the, one of the, plate, one of the Gospels that records this, in Luke 19, some of the Pharisees, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, tell him to shut up. Jesus replied, if they don't, the stones will. If these become silent, the stones will cry out. The rocks will cry out in praise to God. That was a clear claim of deity. That inanimate objects would give praise to God. That would give praise to Jesus as God. See, the Pharisees did not want to hear that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. It didn't fit. It was absurd. It was blasphemous to them. It was foolish. Now, fast forward several decades to first century Corinth, A.D. 55, give or take a year or two. Corinth, a prominently situated major trade city. Located 45 miles west of Athens in southern Greece. The responses there were similar. To be sold out to Jesus, to be following him as your Savior and your Lord, was tantamount to insanity in the eyes of the Greeks. Corinthians sought wisdom for their own glorification. They wanted to be both powerful and right. They wanted to have the answers and to be able to apply them. For their own good. They were in love with human wisdom. They were in love with philosophy, which literally means the the love of wisdom. They were in love with whatever gave man-made answers to life. To origins, to destiny, to purpose. All the answers of life in their mind could could be answered through human reason and understanding. Sounds a lot like our day today. Where we live. In Corinth, if you lived in Corinth, there were many groups vying for your attention. Probably more than 50 philosophical uh, schools that wanted you to buy into their way of looking at things. 
Now, Corinth was also well-known for its trademark immorality. To act like a Corinthian meant to engage in gross immorality, to display moral depravity. And in the midst of this, Paul planted a church. It's kind of like the way people think of California if they live back east. (laughs) The church in Corinth had problems. Instead of being in the world but not of it, they were mixed with the culture, immersed in the culture, often in danger of compromise. Mixed in with the world system of their day. They wanted to experience the power of the miraculous. They wanted to be lost my train of thought. I'm going to look down and find the word. They wanted to be stimulated by new ideas. They wanted to to have the miraculous as well as the human. They were intoxicated. Intoxicated by the wisdom of the world. And the Corinthian church bent to the pressure uh, to cave to the culture. They were living worldly lifestyles. You can name them. Look through 1 Corinthians. Same type of stuff that's going on today in the, in the day and age in which we live. Same kind of things that happen in the church today. They were quarreling. They were competing. They were setting up unbiblical barriers to their life in Christ. They were playing favorites. They were patronizing leaders. Some were saying, I am of Paul. Others were saying, I am of Apollos. Others, I am of Peter. And still others, no, I am only of Christ. Look up at verse 17. Paul says, I didn't didn't come to to baptize, but to preach the gospel. God did not send him to set up his own little Christian club where they all followed him. And they all went to Paul's church. And he was actually glad that he had only baptized a few. Not that it was bad to baptize, but it was wrong to set up these... It was ridiculous, actually, to set up these human delineations of who's great and who's powerful and who's in charge. He was called to preach the gospel and bring them the good news and bring them together around Christ, not himself. See, the church in first century Corinth was in danger of voiding out the gospel message because they had a misconception of the gospel message. I mean, it was ridiculous to say that you belong to certain church leaders Since there was only one gospel, and that gospel did not come in by man, it came in by God. God brought the gospel in. God's in charge, it's his church. And then their lifestyles did not match their profession. It didn't jive with the truth that they professed. Now we can understand that, can't we? They were like us, sincere people that were often led astray by their own desires. It's easy to adopt the mindset of the world. So subtle you don't even see it happening. It's easy to become hardened to the things of God and then attempt to show up at church and be defrosted for an hour and then go right back in the freezer. 
Many so-called Bible-believing Christians give more credence to man's wisdom and man's ability than to God's. They've strayed from God's word as a source of truth. And Paul spoke to the church in Corinth that it rang true then, and it also rings true for us today. What he said to the church here is for us. In these verses, we see a contrast, a huge contrast between the wisdom and power of man and the wisdom and power of God. The first thing that we see in this passage is that the wisdom and power of man is foolish and futile. It's a dead end. Not going to take you anywhere. Mankind today relies upon science and medicine and technology. Trusting human understanding and ability more than God. In fact, we're almost superstitious to the way that we cling to man-made ideas and cures hoping desperately that they will work to fix whatever emotional or physical or spiritual ailment we have. But everywhere we look, we see breakdowns and inability to figure it all out. Power struggles in every sphere of of human relationship. You see, mankind is perishing apart from Christ. Perishing. Verse 18, we read that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That word foolishness is where we get our English word moron. The word of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing. Someone told me you better not put that up on the PowerPoint. It's moronic to the perishing. The word of the cross is the total message of Jesus. Everything that we know about Christ, the program of God, the provision he made for the salvation of sinners, Christ becoming man and dying for the sins of the world. It goes up against the wisdom of words that we see, the cleverness of speech in verse 17. Those that are perishing are in the process of being destroyed. They are in the process of being separated away from God for eternity unless they turn from their sins and come to Christ. 2 Corinthians tells us that if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled, it is hidden to those who are perishing. That Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they are not able to understand the message. Unless the Spirit of God breaks in. But to those who are being saved, verse 18 says, the word of the cross is the power of God. Those that are being saved, those that are in the process of being brought to safety, to them it is the power of God. Power, the Greek word is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite. Changes things. But the ones who are perishing are in the process of perishing because they put more stock in human ideas than in God's. And the cross is made void when we think more highly of man's accomplishments than God's in Christ. You see, mankind is blinded by misconceptions of reality. Confused by faulty reasoning. Verse 19, Paul says, it is written. He's quoting. 
He's quoting Isaiah 29, 14. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. God was in the process of destroying the wisdom of those who thought themselves wise. And he said, the cleverness of the clever I'm going to set aside of no account. Look at verse 20. Where, where's the wise man? Where's the debater? Where's the philosopher? Uh, going nowhere. Isaiah 19.12 is referenced here too. And the wise men of Egypt couldn't promise what they delivered in terms of miraculous signs. So Why are we so enamored with human wisdom? Why is it? I'll tell you why. It's because of ego. And it's because of wanting to be right. Verse 20, where's the wise man, where's the scribe, where's the debater? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, God showed to be moronic the wisdom of man. See, man's wisdom exalts man and lowers God. And wise men and scholars and debaters cannot come close to God's wisdom. They end up looking like fools because they promise what they can't deliver. Some say black is white. Some say wrong is right. Well, just because you say it doesn't make it true. The other day I was riding my bike. I was going eight miles an hour uphill, pulling two kids in a trailer, by the way. Unless you think I'm too weak. But I'm pulling my kids behind me in this trailer. I got two of them. I'm riding the bike. I'm going uphill at eight miles an hour. And I'm coming up to a sign, the the speed limit thing that flashes what you're really going. And it says, you are going 40 miles an hour. (laughs) Now, I'd love to have believed that. But I had to deal with objective truth. I had a speedometer right on my bike, and there were cars going 40 miles an hour passing me up. So if I came up today and said to you, by the way, the other day while I was riding my bike, uh, the sign told me I was going 40 miles an hour. Be a liar. Got to deal with objective truth. Mankind is also clinging to a false sense of security. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached, the so-called foolishness to save those who believe. See, the world in its wisdom could not even come close to God. Couldn't touch it. Total inability to come to God. Why? Because of sin. Because of depravity. We have no way to bring ourselves to God unless we yield and let God bring us to Him. God in His sovereignty made sure that man had no way to come to Him on their own. So that there would be no room to take any of the credit for the coming to God. There would be no room for boasting. Say, well, I worked my way to God. When I was an unbeliever, I tried everything imaginable to get myself to God. Nothing worked. Many of you did the same thing. It doesn't work, does it? Does it? Does it? I'll tell you, this this passage is full of irony. 
Uh, On the topic of human wisdom and power, there are two great ironies I want to point out. One is, what the world calls wise and powerful, God calls foolish and weak. The wisdom and power of God, excuse me, the wisdom and power of man is really foolish and weak. And in his sovereignty, God patiently allowed man, the supposedly wise men of the world, to seek their own way to life in him. But they failed completely. There was no way it was going to happen. They knew not God. God, in his wisdom, made sure that man had no way to get to him on their own. And the second irony is that what the world wants to destroy could actually save their life. Think about it. Back in Luke 19, someone wanted to destroy Jesus. After that first Palm Sunday, they wanted to destroy him. The chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy Jesus. Luke 19, 47. The thing that would help them most, they were fighting against. Isn't that interesting? Paul learned that lesson. Remember that? He had the, the... the letters, the permission to go and take believers and throw them in jail. And while he was on the road to Damascus, God shined the bright light, blinding him. And Jesus asked him a question, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The very thing he fought against was actually his salvation. So Paul speaks with irony when he says that God is pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It's not foolishness. It never would be foolishness. It never could be foolishness. It is the greatest wisdom that's ever been known. The gospel message. And this highlights the wisdom and power of God above all human effort. God confounded the wisdom of of the supposedly wise. God made a way to save us that was outside the realm of human reason. That wouldn't even make sense to human reason. If you tried to figure it out, humanly speaking. He worked it so that the simple message of the cross would be the way to save sinners. Well, that's foolishness to mankind. That's moronic to man. It doesn't make a bit of sense, humanly speaking. The message of the cross is an expression of God's greatness. His greatness. What the world calls foolish and weak is actually the greatest demonstration of the power of God that has ever been. Verse 22. The Jews asked for signs. They wanted miraculous signs of power. They wanted something that would prove to them that the message was true. Now, they wouldn't believe it if they saw it. But they wanted to see works of power. The Greeks... They asked for wisdom. Wisdom. What they really wanted was to figure it all out on their own through human understanding. They weren't interested in God's truth. They were only interested in debating novel ideas. Mankind couldn't see that Jesus was the greatest sign that had ever been given. That Jesus was the greatest wisdom 
the truest source that had ever been known. And the crux of the matter is seen in verse 23. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. You see, the Jews wanted those miraculous, powerful signs, and the Gentiles wanted the human reasoning, but we give them something they'd never expect. Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. Scandal. The thought that the Messiah was hanged on a tree and experienced the curse of God did not fit their system. It was out of the question for Jews. It was moronic to Gentiles. It didn't fit nicely in the categories of human understanding. See, they would say, well, just because you can't explain it humanly speaking, it doesn't exist. It doesn't ring true. Actually, that's one of the greatest proofs for the fact that only God could do it. Listen closely. No cross, no Christianity. No cross, no Christianity. We preach Christ crucified. God's way of salvation is the only option. There is not some other plan B. There is not any loophole. And the gospel makes the wisdom of the world appear foolish. Going back to verse 18. To those who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's what changes our life. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not going to shrink in shame at the thought of the gospel. And I do that walking down my street. That truth gripped Paul to the point that he cried out, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16. In Galatians 1 he said, And if anybody does preach another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be sent to hell. For twisting the truth in such a way that someone would think there's some other way to God. Some don't preach Christ crucified. Some preach an easy Jesus that doesn't tell the truth. They they take out the pain and suffering. They take out the teeth. They, They gum the gospel. They leave out the blood of Christ. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the cross, there is no Christianity. See, the world hates what God loves. And the way to reach them is not by making it easier or soft-pedaling or watering it down. The perishing world needs the wisdom and power of God. And if they come to Christ, it will be because they respond to God's summons to himself. Not because we came up with a more creative way to package it. We must share his version of the message. You know, Paul spent 18 months with the church of Corinth. Teaching the word of God among them. Many came to believe in Christ. Many came to faith in Christ. 
But there were some there that gave him the kind of reception and the kind of opposition that he found in Athens. In Acts 17, when he was preaching the cross and the resurrection, some began to sneer. It was moronic to them. In Corinth, they brought him to the judgment seat, the height of the city, to Gallio, the proconsul. And they brought charges against him of blasphemy. This man tells us to worship in ways that are not right. See, Paul didn't use enticing words of human wisdom. I'm glad I'm weak when it comes to that. Hopefully the power of God can be shown through me. He didn't play into the hands of the Jews who fancied oratory and philosophy. The things by which they congratulated themselves, they had no sway on Paul. He preached the message he was given to proclaim. He didn't change it. He didn't void it. He preached the crucified Christ, Christ alone. He was one of the most learned men of his time, brought up under Gamaliel. And he preached Christ crucified. That the Christ crucified in Jerusalem is the Son of God, the only Savior. And that all should repent of their sins and come to faith in Christ and believe in him and submit to his rule in their life. See, Paul did not need to dress that truth up to make it palatable. He didn't need to package it in persuasive words of wisdom so they they would somehow accept it. He gave it by demonstration of the Spirit of God and His power. He let it do the work that God intended it to do. The simple preaching of the crucified Christ is more powerful than any eloquent orator or philosopher. It alone has the power to save everyone who believes. Paul used to sneer. But when the Spirit of God got a hold of him, everything changed. And the same Spirit of God that got a hold of Paul has gotten a hold of a lot of us too. And things change, don't they? It's interesting. You look at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, verse 1. You know who this letter's from? Paul, yeah? Guess who else? Sosthenes, our brother. Who's Sosthenes? Go to Acts 18. You'll see what happened to him. When they dragged Paul before Gallio, the proconsul, Gallio had wanted nothing to do with their argument against Paul, by the way. In fact, it looked like he was giving him carte blanche to preach the gospel and to preach Christ crucified. But you know what he did? He brought the, the, the leader of the synagogue, Sosthenes, out and beat him in the, in, the, in, the, in the presence of all the people. Looks as if to say he shouldn't, they shouldn't have brought Paul out to the judgment seat. Interesting. We have no record that Sosthenes at this point was a believer yet. We know that Crispus was, 
who was the previous leader of the synagogue. But at this point, there was Sosthenes. And now you fast forward to the letter that Paul wrote from Ephesus to the Corinthians. And it says, Paul and Sosthenes are brother. He came to faith in Christ. Was it after the beating? I don't know. It seems to be so. See, what we preach seems like weakness to the world. Sometimes we think it sounds weak. It's sad. It changes our life. It blows up our life like dynamite. And it points us to the one who is all-knowing and all-powerful. You want wisdom? You want power? Well, go to the one who has all knowledge and all power. The omniscient one, all-knowing, the omnipotent one, all-powerful. Verse 24 says, To those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, anyone who believes, I love this, I love this, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Couldn't call Sophia Dunamis, so I called her Sophia. I called uh, my youngest Sophia because to remind us that Jesus, the power of God. I got a daily reminder in my home. I got more than that. The so-called foolishness of God, in verse 25, is stronger than man. The so-called weakness of God So-called. You notice how prominent Jesus is in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians? If you just counted up how many times the name of Jesus. Jesus, 10 times. Christ, 17 times. Lord, 5 times. He should be so prominent in our life, in our family, in the workplace. He should be so prominent in our minds. He should be so prominent in our speech. In a good way. You know, I've said that Hebrews is the most Christ-centered book in the, in the Bible, and I believe that. But 1 Corinthians speaks the name of Jesus more than any other book in the New Testament. In the context of dealing with all these problems the Corinthian church had, Paul kept pointing them to Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the power and the wisdom of God. See, but we know how we really live, don't we? We know what it was like this morning and yesterday and what we're looking forward to this coming week we're misguided prone to wander prone to wander from the source of all wisdom and power easily drawn away to what paul warned about in colossians chapter 2 he said see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of man rather than according to christ we need help We need bad help. Now, sitting here this morning, we are either dead or leaking. (laughs) All right? You're either spiritually dead and you don't know Christ, and then you just need to come to Christ, who is the power and wisdom of God, confessing your sins, believing who he said he is, and receiving his forgiveness and his, and his, his pardon and a clean conscience. But if you know Jesus, you're leaking. You're spilling all over the place. What's spilling out? Power and wisdom. 
we leak. It's not like you come to Christ and then you just like get all filled up and you just keep on going until you see Jesus in heaven. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He takes us from start to finish. And one of the key reasons why is because we leak so much. Do you know what I'm talking about? We need every moment the infusion of God's grace in our life. We need every moment his power, every moment his wisdom. We can't do that on our own. That's why we have so many struggles as believers, because we leak so much. Um, Forgive me, but it's spiritual incontinence. I was going to say, yeah, I'll say it. It it all depends, really, uh, on a few things. But I will say this. So I can't look up right now. Um, See, I always tell my son, don't be that guy who had to say the funny thing. I was just that guy. I'm just trying to make a point, though. There are two great trade-offs. Two great trade-offs. The first is this. Our foolishness for Christ's wisdom. Sound like a good deal? James 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He will give it to you. Don't doubt when you ask. Just ask in faith. And he will give it to you. You feel inadequate? You feel helpless? You feel foolish? Well, just trade that in and let Christ be your wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your strength, all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He's going to make your path straight. He's going to lead you in the right way. There's another trade-off. It's our weakness for Christ's strength. Our weakness for Christ's strength. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Most of us do. There's something. Reminds us every day that we need Jesus so bad. And Paul wanted to be rid of it. We all want relief. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. Why? Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Christ's power is made perfect through our weakness. Let Christ be your strength. Yield. Be strong in him and in the power of his might. 2 Corinthians 1.9 says, one of the reasons we feel so weak and powerless is because God does not want us to trust in ourselves, but in him who raises the dead. See, the same power that, raises, that raised Jesus is alive in every believer. Power of the Holy Spirit. And then there's that great exchange. Our sin who would say no to this? Our sin for Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ we have pardon from sin. We have the cancellation of our guilt. And we have a clean conscience that is unknown to the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that you and you alone can comfort a soul 
And that knowing you and you crucified and the assurance that you have called us into fellowship with yourself through Christ, that we are saved and free and forgiven. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. And please stand with me. If you uh, need prayer this morning, I'm going to be up here. Pastor Ed's going to be up here. A few others will be up here to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus and you want to come to know him, come talk to us. Don't leave the day without settling that matter. And if you're leaking really bad, trust Jesus as your strength. Trust Jesus as your wisdom. Love to be up here. We're gonna, we'll pray with you about anything you want. Also tonight, love to see you back. Tonight we're going to be celebrating. Uh, we're going to be celebrating what Jesus celebrated with his disciples on that last week that he was on earth. We're going to eat a meal together. We're going to wash each other's feet. And we're going to share in the bread and the cup. And I hope you can make it. So God bless you. Have a great, great day.